You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday. We're cramming one in today, aren't we, Bracken? We're cramming it in the old boot because we're busy men. We are. Yes, you're we you're are. really busy today, and I am self-imposed busy today. Yeah, your office looks a little uh, disheveled today, Bracken. In order to renovate something, you have to first make it look worse. That's I the know. worst part of everything. Totally. But soon, soon you will see something different when you look at my my face. Behind it, you'll see something fantastic. Well, it's going to be a white wall still, isn't it? Nope. What are you doing to it? You're just going to have to wait and see. You know what's funny is, so I get Bracken. He's just got like a white wall behind him when we record. We look at each other and we use this app called Squadcast. So it's like we're FaceTiming when we record these things. Behind me is basically my girlfriend's underwear hanging on a railing because we hang laundry to dry on the rail behind my computer. (laughs) So every time we record, don't you wonder what the heck we've got going on back there, Bracken? I just wonder, I I take a look and I see this week, oh, they they worked out a lot this weekend or they were active. You know, I see some more, it looks like compression or or performance material on the rail behind me. There's some leopard print. There's some camo. Yeah. Yeah, we got it all. So you have more to look at than I do. Yes, for now. Okay. I'm going to give you a background to look at. All right. I can't wait, Bracken. So um, I got stranded this weekend. What does that mean? Well, everybody knows at this point that I spend my weekends in the woods and uh, I go deer hunting. Um, and I'm an hour and 40 minutes away from home. And I went out for a morning sit, which means you get up at like 430 in the morning and you go walk through the woods in the dark to your deer stand and then sit there, which sounds probably terrible to most of you. But I, it's like my meditation, right? Um but I went back to my truck and we had like a 19 degree morning and I'm in the middle of the woods with no service, basically in Northern Wisconsin. And my truck wouldn't start <laughs> just dead battery. So I'm parked in the woods by myself with barely any cell service and a car that won't start. I didn't know what to do. You have two options, right? What, what are my options? You, you sit tight and you wait for a good Samaritan to come by and hope that someone does mm-hmm. or you start running. And you're, you have a stress fracture, so you would be walking. I called. I finally got service to go through, and I called my girlfriend, Jess, and she made the hour and 40-minute drive, bought jumper cables on the way, and came and saved her damsel in distress out in the middle of the woods and gave me a jump start. Isn't that pathetic? Kind of. But at the mm-hmm. same time, if your car dies and if you don't have a mobile jump kit, what can you do? I do now. You do? Yeah, do now. Yeah. But that was my weekend. Other than that, it was uneventful. How about yours? I did a four-hour hill workout on Saturday. Four hours? Four hours. Why four hours? Well, you talked about that ultra that Ross and I are running coming up. Mm-hmm. So today was race sim, or Saturday was race sim day. He had never been beyond two hours in his life, which we had done two weekends ago. And he'd never had to fuel for anything or deal with wet socks for longer than an hour or two or deal with constant up and down on the body and uh heel chafage ankles rolling shirts shorts rubbing for four hours he had never dealt with any of that 
And mm-hmm. so this was the, the standard race sim day where you get out, test your gear, test your nutrition and hydration strategy and feel what four hours feels like. Because I have a, I have a theory that whatever you can do in training, pace wise or distance wise, you can go 30% longer in competition. What's this based on? This 30%? I mean, it's not 30, but I, I think a, a third longer, 33 or whatever. That- like the intangibility of it being race day and you're going to find a way. Yeah. So for example, if you were about to go out and run a thousand meter time trial solo, you could probably make it close to a 1500 in a race based off that at the same pace. Or if you do a, an 18 mile long run solo, I think you can make it marathon distance in a race at that same pace. Got it. And so if you go four hours on feet in training, I think you can make it six hours easy peasy on race day. Not easy peasy, but with the same without anything drastically different happening, just the race environment and better fueling and people around you. I think the smartest thing a first-time ultra athlete can do is a race sim. I just had this conversation, and I'll ask you how it went in a second, but I just had this conversation today with an athlete who just did his first ultra this weekend. Mm. He had never gone that far. Self, you know, self-raced 50K. Um, tough. And he'd never gone that far. So it was a big accomplishment to finish. But the things that pop up after like mile 18 to 20 that you have no, like you can't prepare yourself for it unless you felt it before and can foresee what's about to happen. So he went through the whole gamut of, you know, emotions and his body cramping and then fueling issues. And, and he wasn't ready to do it in practice beforehand. But if you were, you learn so much and you can't learn those things until you're actually in that space. Yeah. So, so he learned his lessons and he, he did great and he, he finished, but like, anyways, I just think it's a really important part for somebody. If you've never been on your feet that long, like you have no idea what's coming your way until all of a sudden it happens. Yeah. And there's a couple points about that, that I'm sure your buddy learned and that you've learned and I've learned. The first is that you can't simulate that level of body deadness until you've been on feet for a few hours. At some oh. point it just stops being fun. And then you question your motives for being out there. And I want someone to feel that before they've gotten to a race, because otherwise we go in with that expectation that I'm so fit. I nailed my training. My progression has been great. And I am going to nail this race and nailing Mm -hmm. an ultra doesn't necessarily mean you just felt good because that's not what happens. You're going to hit some really low points and you've got to feel what it feels like to think, Oh, I'm out of energy. Mm -hmm. I can't make it up another hill. And then you got to go up it four more times and you realize, okay, I thought I was done. I was ready to quit and I would have quit. But instead, I found out when I was ready to quit, I had another hour in me for sure. And that was without even a race. You got to feel that depressed state of the ultra in order to realize that when you do feel it, it's not truly the sign of you're done. Yeah, I completely agree. And when it comes to that, like the pounding of your feet for four hours, the way your hips feel, the way that every step actually hurts. Mm -hmm is a point that most people don't get to in training. And so I think that's that's super important, just knowing that and then not caving to that because the first time you feel something is scary. The second time, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. And you have the confidence that you can survive it and that dread that it's coming. And that's a good combination to go into a race with, knowing this is about to get bad and I'm going to survive it and it's going to be rough. And even a good ultra, you're going to hit those low points. Even if it's your best ultra, your body's still going to do that and deceive you at some point. So... Uh, anyways, continue. So how did it go? It went really well, I think. How much how much distance did you cover? 
Well, we did it in a 1.1 mile hill loop. There's a ski hill that gains 194 feet. Mm. And so we went up, down the backside, looped around back to the top, which is like a two thirds, three quarter of the hill rep, and then down mm. the ski hill to the finish, 1.1 miles. We did that single loop for four hours. Wow. So it was a lot of power hiking and then a lot of descending. And that's another reason I wanted to do this because that's the setup of the race he's doing 1.1 mile, 340 feet per lap, six hours to do as many laps as you can. So I wanted him to be bored mentally and not like it and feel what 340 feet of drop every lap feels like. Mm -hmm. That's what gets people. That's what yeah, gets people. Is the it drop. is. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to feel how slow you have to intentionally go out to be able to grind for six hours. Mm -hmm. especially with a hill race, even if you run a few of the hills too early, just a hair too fast, it just exponentially destroys you in the second half. And so I wanted that feeling of, all right, we were, we were clipping off 14 to 14 and a half minute laps up and down with 300 and some feet invert, 1.1 miles, power hiking, everything. I didn't let them run up the hill at all. And then by the end, and that was an effort level like six to start with five and a half. By the end, that was effort level eight and a half. And we were running 16 minute laps. And a mental effort of 10, probably. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that, that feeling of you have to throttle back in order to not do damage for later. So I think all in all is really good. We didn't leave with any injury. We didn't leave with anything scary. And for him, the uphill actually was harder than the down. He handled the downhill, which means the work we put in is starting to stabilize that eccentric pounding mm -hmm. that he's taking. So it was a good weekend. Good day. I felt great. Is Bracken back? Is Brackenstein back? It was a great reminder that if you're going sub-maximal, you can recover really quickly. Mm, but if good. we were to hammer those descents, I'd be a zombie. Yeah. So I'm fine. I was curious because, man, the, the listeners have followed you through your injury recovery. Uh, I mean, pre-surgery, pre surgery, post-surgery, post and to hear you went for a four-hour run bracket, like that's, that's pretty satisfying even for me. It was a big week. I did a 5K time trial on Monday. Yeah. I did threshold hill reps on Wednesday, mm -hmm. and then I did a four-hour hill hike and descent on Saturday Wow! with no ill effects. I ran 200 yards yesterday. I got out of the woods, and I was very cold, and I had my boots on, and I needed to warm up, and I sprinted down the gravel road, turned around, sprinted back, didn't have any foot pain. Look at us. And I, and I had to run at least like five minute sprints in boots. So I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to come back. I think we're both ready. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear, man. Um, 10 minutes of BSing is enough. Let's tell the good people of the running public what we are chatting about today. A theme has come up in some conversations with some of the athletes that we coach. And that is that they've been away from racing for so long that they're unsure what racing and workout should really feel like. And I've been doing these off-season workouts that are paceless. They're all effort-based. You know, minute hard, minute easy, progressing to two hard, two easy, three hard, three easy, five hard, five easy. And the question always is, what is hard? Mm -hmm. And that's a tricky question. It's one you have to feel. I prescribe the hard, easy workouts to most of my athletes. They're workouts I really like prescribing on undulating terrain, hilly terrain, winter's coming. We're going to have shitty conditions where... Yep. If you if you're doing half mile repeats or quarter mile repeats in unfavorable conditions, you're going to feel bad about yourself because your splits aren't necessarily going to be where they want. So I really like the minute hard or easy or whatever principle that principle. So then that does lead to the question like what is hard? Because mm -hmm. your athletes are seeing that right now. My athletes are seeing that right now. 
And uh, it's vague, isn't it? I have two descriptions I always give. The first is the rationale that I would love for us to prescribe a pace for everything. But as soon as you step off the road or the track, pace is tricky to match now. And as soon as you get into a race, pace isn't necessarily what you need to be working off of. Mm -hmm. What I want someone to be able to do is if an air horn sounded at two in the morning and you roll out of bed and someone said, you're racing for 90 minutes, go, or three at miles, go, or 30 miles, go, or 10 miles, or whatever it was, you could instantly choose the right effort to match the distance immediately. Mm -hmm. And you could finish knowing I left just about everything out there at the right time because I know what hard means for every duration I could be asked to do. Well, I think this comes back to something that we had talked about or I had mentioned in a previous podcast. And first of all, I'm going to just blanket statement, define hard. And that is, if you're going hard, look at your workout total as its sum and say, if I'm going to manage my effort, what is the fastest average split or pacing or effort that I can maintain throughout this workout? And that should define your hard for that day. Knowing that if I go out two, let's say you prescribe eight by three minutes hard with three minutes easy, going out too hard early will make you suffer later and thus resulting in a slower average pacing for those efforts. And going out too slow and then finishing too strong may still leave things on the table. So I think the simplest way to define it is best average effort throughout the workout and try to hone in on that the best you can early. That's the first thing I tell people. Exactly. And when, let's say you have five on, five off, five hard, five easy for an hour. You used to prescribe that workout a lot. The five I five. love that workout. It's easy. Or, or the song workout, song hard, song easy. It's a good off season workout. Mm -hmm. What does hard mean? Hard doesn't mean as hard as I can run the first interval and then easy. And then as hard as I have left to run the second, it's as hard as I can run to maintain for every hard. Correct. And that's where people go wrong. We don't want to see this graph that starts up at five minute pace and finishes at seven minute pace. We want to see the graph that stays steady the entire time, as hard as you can maintain. So that might be a effort level seven on rep one in eight and a half by 10 or nine by 10. But mm -hmm. the effort matches what I can do the entire time because we're not teaching ourselves how to run any individual segment of a race as hard as we can. We're teaching ourselves to run the entire course as hard as we can so that you go broke on energy at the moment you no longer need energy. It's funny to see um, new athletes that you coach that don't have a lot of experience in endurance racing or endurance training. Um, it's almost, you can predict it, who's going to have the exponential decrease in pacing and output as they go based on experience and then watching them get honed in on and understanding what hard actually means to maintain effort. Cause that's what endurance racing is really about is knowing your effort early so you can calculate what energy to use to sustain it late. And so it's a trap people fall into. It really is. Um, and, and you also, if you go out too quickly, you don't really get the return on investment in the workout that you're looking for either. And so it's actually pretty pivotal as far as um, execution and then seeing adaptation, in my opinion, um, not going too out too hard and then fading home. Because what happens then, Bracken, if you go out too hard and fade home? You haven't worked what you intended to work. You didn't get the benefit of the workout. Yeah. And that's what you get good at in a race. Correct. Because if you race like that, it's not going to go well. No. 
No, yeah. no. The only time that goes well is when you get out of sight and you build up a gap and then it becomes the waiting game. Do I have a big enough gap to withstand the charge that's inevitably coming? And really only one person can use that strategy per race, mm-hmm. right? One person can break away. The rest of the field, they all have to use it as if you're in a video game. I love to think of it as if I have a power meter and that power meter is the fitness I've brought to the race. And every energy, every second of the race slowly lowers that power meter and lowers it and lowers it. And I just want to run out of power at the finish line. Yeah. If you get down to one quarter of your power meter left at the halfway point, your only option is to empty it and not finish or use the second half of the race to go through one quarter of your power, which means your pace is just out the window. So you don't bank time by getting out too hard. You bank time by running at your best sustainable effort so that you run out of energy when you no longer need it. And so I have a a phrase, I have a question I ask myself and have my athletes ask themselves to determine how they're pacing themselves. What is that question? Can I maintain this the entire time? It's a really simple question, but it's the answer that matters. If the Mm -hmm. answer is yes, I can, you're running too slow. And if the answer is no, I cannot, you've gone out too hard. And if the answer is Maybe, Maybe, then you're probably pacing about correctly. And that question translates to any format you want it to. So if you're in the middle of a threshold run and you know, I'm running five miles at marathon pace, the question is, could I keep this pace for a marathon anywhere? Let's say 20 to 26 miles, 18 to 26, based off my, my 33% rule of, I can extend for another 33% in a race during this five mile run, this effort I'm feeling If someone came up to me right now and said, I'll give you a million dollars to keep this pace all the way through 20 miles, could I do that? If the answer is absolutely, you're running too slow. Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, I couldn't, then you're running too fast. And if it's uh, maybe gun to my head, you're probably right where you want to be. And if it's during a race, Kirk, could you keep this one mile effort, not the pace, but the effort all the way to mile nine at the finish line? If you can't confidently say maybe, your race is probably done already. But you want to stay in that maybe zone because that's where breakthroughs happen. Yeah. And the uh, I kind of like, I, you know, gray area sucks. But in this regard, gray area is kind of where you want to sit. The answer mm-hmm. maybe is the perfect answer. And when you answer maybe, there's an optimistic and fluctuation of my voice there. Maybe mm-hmm. is if you can't, if the maybe is wrong and that answer is no, you're only going to fade so much if you're still in the maybe category. Right. You know what I'm saying? And you're only going to be able to pick up the pace so much if you're in the maybe category or just hang on. So I think that one simple word is actually really key to ask yourself in almost every single bout that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe is the right answer. And it's probably the wrong answer in almost every other facet of training and racing and life. But maybe right now is the right answer. And it's framing the the maybe against the right standard. If you're running 10 by 1000 at let's say it's 10k pace. It's not, can I keep this pace the whole workout? I don't know. Maybe it's, could I keep this in a race? Mm -hmm. Maybe because the point of a 10 by thousand workout is not to come up two reps short and be like, but man, did I get tough today? That's not the purpose of that workout. So it's asking the question in the right context. If you're running, let's say you're getting ready for OCR stars and you're doing something like thousand meter hard reset four by 100 at the best maintainable pace. Now it's, can I keep this effort for the next rep? (laughs) Maybe. Now that's okay to go into debt on there. So it's, which maybe are you really answering? But it's choosing the correct maybe. 
you know, we're talking in theory sort of right now and going one by one with workout types and describing what hard should feel like is the next uh, best yeah. step. So I think we should break things down for the listener. We should talk intervals. We should talk threshold. We should talk racing. Uh, we should talk, I guess, recovery. We should talk at all. So yeah. let's start with um, interval work. Let's talk interval work faster than goal race pace. Let's start with the fast stuff. Um, what should hard feel like in faster than race pace intervals, which most of us do every week when we're in a even a building or a peaking phase. Mm-hmm. I think that that workout gets broken up into thirds mentally for me. The first third of the workout is the reps start getting difficult towards the end of the reps where you feel fast and strong. Let's say faster than race pace. You're doing, let's stick, stick with mile. Let's do miles now. Five by mile at 5k pace. Mm-hmm. That's a tough workout. Yeah, that's a good stuff workout. Maybe maybe even four by mile at 5K pace. So you're running slightly faster than what you can do. That first mile should feel fast and strong. And maybe the last two or 300 meters, you're starting to think, oh, this is maybe. And mm-hmm. that second rep, you're now, you're digging in and you're thinking, this is the middle of my race right here. Third rep, probably half of the rep is hard. The fourth rep, you might make it 200 meters in before you're hurting and you go into the fifth rep knowing, well, this sucks from step one. So interval work gets progressively harder and it's supposed to get as bad as a race by the end of certain reps. I That's agree. the way I think about it. I agree. I think halfway through an interval session, like a fast, speedy, let's say 5k pace or under effort, um, halfway or just before halfway through that workout, you're already looking at like the volume of work you still have ahead of you. And you're like, oh, crap. And there might even be a little bit of dread when you know your rest is up. And you're like, this is just going to be tough. I think that's the right way to run an interval workout. Now you have the fitness, hopefully, to back it up and not fall off the rails, as we mentioned, and run with consistency. Um, But I like the way you look at that. And, And I see a lot of, I see two things happen. One, I see people go way too fast because they don't know their bodies. And they fade home and they settle in that second half of the workout or that that last two thirds. And then you really see what the athlete is about. And I know a lot of you are that athlete. You do 400 meter repeats and you do your first one in 70. And then all the rest of yours are between 80 and 85. Obviously, that's knowing your body a little bit better. The other the other half is people go out too conservative, afraid of blowing up, blowing up. And then they pound home their last interval or two way faster than their average. And that's probably the wrong approach as well. I think the right approach is to start a little bit conservative um, where I like to say it like this, like in my first half of a workout, if I'm running mile repeats, I think I could probably extend that effort another quarter to a half mile without no, with knowing I could sustain this pace. Mm -hmm. By rep two, I'm like, yeah, I could extend this effort another quarter mile. By rep three, I'm like, ooh, maybe I could extend this effort by another quarter mile. And then by reps four and five, for example, I'm just begging for that finish line to happen. And so I always look about rep extension in the first half. Could I continue this pace past the prescribed duration? And the answer should be yes for the first half. In the second half, the answer might be maybe or no. And that's where I think people should focus on getting dialed in. You you touched upon it without specifically saying it, but there is this concept in marathoning and ultramarathoning that you run the first half with your head and the Mm -hmm. second half with your heart. And I really like that concept Mm -hmm. where you hold yourself back and you run smart and then the second half, you just get tough. And that's how I look at interval work. It's yeah. a microcosm of marathon or ultra running where the first half you run intelligently. I could run this rep faster, but I'm not going to. 
I could extend it another half mile, but I'm not going to. And in the second half, when the weight of the workout settles on you and it's not fun anymore, now you run gutsy to keep hitting the pace you hit in the first half. I like that. And yeah, that doesn't go with like, oh, run the first 200 meters of this 400 meter rep with your head and then the second 200 meters with your heart. No, no, no. If you have 10 reps, run the first five reps with your head, run the last five reps yeah. with your heart. I really like that. And and the thing is, is, if you start really laying the throttle down midway through an interval workout, the chances that you epically blow up and fail are very minimal because you've already built up enough residual fatigue to kind of put the governor on yourself and have you settle in where you should. Yeah. So, so I really like that. When I'm running an interval workout, I spend the first few reps thinking, I could probably do more reps at the end of this. Let's say I, I have a range. Uh, when I do my 60-60, uh, maybe it's a 10 to 12 rep range. Let's mm -hmm. just say that's what it is. At the beginning, in the first three or four, I'm thinking I might get 16 today. And by the time I get halfway, I'm thankful I'm halfway. Mm -hmm. And by the last, by the time I get to eight, it's I've talked myself back down to 10 to 12. And, and maybe by eight or nine, I'm thinking I might not get 10 today. And so it's, you ride this wave of confidence and then you crash back down to earth and then you bite down and say, all right, I've recessed from my, my cockiness, but I will not miss the workout goal. That's so funny. That's the exact same mental game. I go through every single workout that matters. And then let's talk how the body should feel in short, hard interval sessions. Um, like what are you feeling physically or, and mentally, I guess, but what are you feeling physically? These are those workouts where I feel that lactate burn where I'm starting to feel my in the second half of the workout and maybe the last quarter mile of reps two through four and the last half of the entire rep of the second half, my strides wants to change. It wants to suffer. It wants to start fighting for ground rather than being fast and efficient. So this is a workout where it challenges me physically and mentally to stay perfect on each stride. It wants to start flailing. And these are days where you have to really concentrate on not turning into just a fight. You're running perfectly despite the fact that you're miserable. Do you ever allow your body to flail? I do everything I can not to. And that's generally when I cut my workout. I don't stop because I'm miserable or because I miss my time. I'll stop a workout when I start to have form breakdown. I get one rep to get it back together. And if I can't run that rep, with the intended effort, with my form together, then I'm done. And what would mean uh, form falling apart in your eyes? It's generally in faster work. Mm -hmm, so me too. Mile or faster work, but coming down the home stretch, if my knees start to splay out or my arms start to really flail and cycle or my head comes back and I'm not midfoot striking or forefoot striking anymore, my feet start to slap a little bit, anything where I feel I'm doing all the wrong pathways in order to try to find more speed. That's form breakdown. Yeah. I'll get real tight in the upper body. I'll start really throwing my whole body into my stride. Um, I'll notice my traps and neck, my arm carriage is swinging so hard that I'll start feeling it there. And my stride will actually end up shortening a little. I'll lose a little bit of like economy. Mm -hmm. Arms will come across the body. Head will start shifting a little bit back and forth, those sort of things. Um, mentally in short, hard efforts, should be still, in my opinion, relatively comfortable the first quarter of that interval, whether it's a minute, three minutes, a mile, quarter mile. You should be settling into like a workable rate that second quarter of the interval. And then everything the last half of those intervals should start being like real work where you're hoping to sustain that effort through the finish, at least in my opinion, 
especially once you're in the bulk of that workout. Even on the last rep of, let's say, 12 by quarter mile or five by a mile, that first quarter is still pretty comfortable. Second mm-hmm. quarter, you get up to work, and then that last half of each rep should be a mental fortitude you're displaying to stay on the horn. And that's why it's important to get to those final reps before you blow up, because those final reps, you spend such a percentage of it in that compromised place that that's race fortitude you're building up. Like When I'm mm-hmm. running these intervals, the second half of the workout, I'm making deals with myself every step. I get out and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to start letting my breathing get rigged breathing get ragged for a quarter mile. It's like, okay, I'll start at 300 if I can just get to 300. And then it's, all right, I'm not going to start looking at my watch and checking to see if I'm on pace Mm -hmm. until I'm halfway done. And all right, this next rep, now I'll make it to 600 meters before I start breaking down. Or if I can make to rep eight, I can stop early. If I hit my pace through rep eight, then I get to eight. It's like, okay, now if I can get two more, I can stop early. And then I get to 10 and it's, well, 10 was the goal. Now I've hit 10 and maybe I got one more bonus, but I'm making little mental deals throughout the entire workout in order to trick myself into continuing. And those are the things that get you through races too. All right. If I can just stay to the top of this climb in contention, then I can let them drop and you get to the top of the climb and it's all right, I've earned that. Now I can, now I can make it through the bottom of the descent and then I'll let them drop. And by the time you get there, it's like, well, screw that. I've made it this far. I'm going to win this thing. So I'm making deals with myself mentally in interval work. Mm -hmm. It's a constant negotiation, isn't it? With your own head, no matter how good or bulletproof or not you are, it is a constant, no way anybody out there isn't making bets or negotiations with themselves mid-workout that way. And this, these workouts are the ones we're talking, we use the analogies like pretend you're running by a hot chick or a Mm -hmm. hot dude. Or I like to say there's a rope out of my chest pulling me to a distant high point um, to keep my form right. When that form, when you can't maintain that sort of form anymore, you probably surpassed your efficiency. So like, can I keep my perfect form running by hot dude or hot girl? Or can I keep that visualization of the rope coming out of my chest to a high point in a tree in the distance and running tall and proud in a sense? Um, Once you start crossing that barrier, that's kind of a good... One, it's a good sign you're working hard. I feel like you can stay upright and focused. But if you feel like you can't sustain that form, then you probably overextended yourself a little too early. So I keep a running analogy in all my workouts of, yeah. of, of what how I'm handling the pressure of the workout or the race or whatever. And I like to use the imagery that you're you're in the boiler room of a big piece of machinery. And as the work rate's rising, you see the gauge is rising and the steam's starting to blast out of pipes and in an interval workout, this is the day where I'm watching it, you know, that 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 dial start to flip and flare towards the red. And I've got to wrap this pipe over here, but I'm learning how much pressure this system can take before it finally explodes and kills everyone. But the whole time you're like, no, 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 we can hold, we can hold. It's getting out to redlining. No, no, if we just pour some water over here, it'll hold. I'll duct tape this pipe, it'll hold. And you're making those little adjustments throughout the workout to handle the pressure, the redlining. But when we get now to, let's say, a threshold work, this is not the workout anymore where you're seeing if it'll hold. This is the workout where your entire purpose is to keep the needle out of the danger zone. Yep. You raise it as high as you can raise without ever touching the danger. And as soon as it touches that, you're throttling back. So in the interval work, we're putting it into the danger and we're finding these little tips and tricks to keep the system from exploding. But now in threshold work, we are preventing the system from becoming overstressed. 
Yeah, threshold or tempo work. I don't know. We still kind of lump those. I lump those together depending on the purpose yep. for the day. But you kind of look at your your meter there if you want to go with the analogy of explo- exploding the boiler room and killing everybody, which is a little dramatic, but I like it. Yeah. Red would be flirting with that. The yellow or orange would be your threshold or tempo work, kind of like heart rate zones when you see on your on your uh, units. And then like green would be like totally safe. You're flirting in that orange or that yellow zone mm-hmm. for threshold work. Um, I wanted to touch on one real quick thing when you when you talk about uh, the intervals and then I think we jump to tempo threshold a little more in depth. Um, what do you tell the person who has surpassed and blown up the boiler room on their interval workout? They have 10 reps planned and they're on rep six and they're caving hard and they know in their heart of hearts there's no absolute way that they can sustain that effort. Do you tell them to pull the plug? Do you tell them to reset expectations? Uh, what should a person do if they've miscalculated their hard and their maybe turns to no? I think it depends on the person, but I'm equally okay with either option, which is you run the pace until you can no longer do it and your day's done, or you take yourself an extended rest break, reset the parameters of the workout and finish the workout with a new set of standards. I think the the tricky part about that is ideally people are aiming to improve fitness. And so you set a goal for the workout, but you don't really know. People are learning as they go very oftentimes. So I think tendency is to hang on. And I, I actually encourage people, especially newer athletes, to hang on because you need to establish a baseline no matter what. And so you have a comparative maybe in the future. And I, I, like, I like telling athletes at least their first few cracks to hang on. Um, but I know there's very opinionated, uh, you know, opposing thoughts on that. Yeah. I think it, I think it depends what the the stress of your week's like. If you're hitting multiple hard workouts, then I'm not going to want to do anything in one that's going to compromise the others. So it might be, Hey, you've, you, you screwed up. You, you've overstepped your effort level. The workout's done. We're going to save it for the next one. But if you're, if you're hitting one hard workout and the rest of the week doesn't have a huge stress level, then. I'd hang on or reset and adjust my effort or paces and get all the work in that I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, another gauge on that is sort of like the voice or talk test um, on short interval work. Like what does hard feel like? Hard feels like I can get out like a word or maybe two if I had a running partner and that's it. I don't have enough time between breaths to get out multiple words in a row or string yeah. a sentence together. That's another good indicator if you're working in the right area. The first half of the reps, I might squeeze out a word or two if I notice something or something funny happens during the rep and I'm with someone, you might acknowledge it. The second half of the workout, the the concept of talking doesn't even make sense. You don't want to. Correct. You wouldn't want to. You'll talk about it during the rest break. You'll both see something really funny happen on the side of their track and you'll both acknowledge it if you can remember it during your recovery. Neither of you even want to talk. Correct. Now, threshold work is very different from that. Yes. You may be able to squeak out an entire short sentence halfway through gauging your effort or making a quick yeah. crack with your buddy or, hey, how you feeling, man? Oh, I'm hanging in there. How you feeling? Like those sort of things. You should never not be able to get something like that out. Yes. And there are two ways to look at threshold work. There is I need to run as close to threshold as possible to really get all the benefits. And then there's the threshold is a range. And whether we run at the top or bottom of our threshold, we're still getting most of the same benefits. I sit in the, I'd rather run the minimum amount of threshold and maybe accrue more time than run right at the top of it and risk overworking my energy systems over the course of days and weeks and months. I don't know where you stand on that, but I would rather have a buffer built in that if 
I squeak out a sentence or two or three, I'm not instantly in gasp mode. Well, I know it's like a really simple metric or, you know, it's very subjective, but that's usually my indicator because we talked briefly before we started recording. And I think this is probably the most missed hard like effort area would be the tempo or threshold run. And they're very different. Tempo can mean something different than threshold, but threshold is referring to heart rate uh, and working in your thresholds, heart rate zones. And I think most people's tendency is to probably push the boundaries on that a little much. And so I think that's one of the simplest, let's say you don't have a heart rate monitor and you're just guessing, which a lot of people still subscribe to, to that model of training, which is okay, perceived exertion. Um, the talk test man is, is really the only way to go. In fact, I remember distinctly in my first U.S. National Series race, I went to Seattle in 2017, and we were probably a mile into that race, and everybody was still together. And I'm running right alongside you and Hobie Call, and we're almost a mile into that race still, and you go, ah, taking it easy today, huh, Hobie? And everybody's breathing and running, and he goes, ah, Bracken, it's a long race, man, no need to rush. And he said it in that sort of tone with that sort of relaxation. And then you made some like, nah, nah, comment back. And it was such a casual display of conversation a mm -hmm. mile into that race. And really Spartan racing or trail racing or anything over really even 5K is threshold running. And that was like a perfect example. And I thought to myself, like, and I remember I faded home hard in that race. And I remember thinking like, I wasn't, I don't think that was already something I wanted to do was conversed like that with anybody. It wasn't really, I wasn't really ready right. for that. And so, and so that was actually like a really good lesson for me to be like, ah, and look, Hobie Call should have won that race if he didn't slip, miss the bell on Z-Wall and spill his rocks and the bucket carry. So um, that lesson was sunk home with that casual little conversation that you probably didn't even know I was eavesdropping on yep. three years ago. Do you remember that? Do you remember that brief little interaction? I do Hobie? actually, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, because everyone got out hot that day, and Hobie's the world champ in the U.S. And he's about to win all the races that year, other than that one. And he just he just calmly said, "Nope, nope, nope. I know what I can do for an hour, and to race all out for an hour, I have to be able to talk for the first fifteen. That hours. was an hour. I think it was one like an hour fifteen, hour ten that yeah. day. But I was like, oh man, I'm running with Bracken and." Hobie and Atkins was still there and I had overextended myself for my fitness at the time and you two knew right where you were and you should have been top five but you missed the bell on the rig like an idiot if I, mm -hmm. if I recall and Hobie again you guys planned it correctly and, and I learned a valuable lesson that day and that lesson um uh I'll never yeah I'll never forget him ah, it's a long race Bracken there's no rush he could have been sitting at a you know lunch talking to somebody he sounded mm -hmm. so relaxed and that stuck home for me and that's the exact way you want to feel at least the first half of threshold work is able to get that out with seemingly coolness is how I would describe it. I agree. During a tempo run, during threshold work, I keep track of my heart rate, but I use it as a secondary metric. I still keep my number one metric is my breathing. If I mm -hmm. ever start to gasp, I'm over. I don't care what my heart rate says. I have to be breathing hard breathing fast and never gasping. As soon as I start to gasp, it's directly correlated to my heart rate. I can see it immediately. But sometimes there's a few beat discrepancy and I follow that. So I'm always staying even a beat or two under what my heart rate might tell me because if you are gasping, you're on borrowed time. And like true raspy gasping, not just breathing fast. But as soon as there's that change in all of our breath, that as soon as it goes from really hard breathing to gasping, that's like the single biggest indicator that you have tipped over. And I never want to tip during a threshold work. And the, so yeah. the question I asked there is not, can I keep this effort the whole time? 
It's, could I keep this for twice this time? If I'm four miles into a six mile tempo and someone came up and said, hey, million bucks, if you can make it to 12 miles, I would need to know, yeah, I can probably do that. I might be able to do that. If I'm starting to think I'm cranking it down, I have another mile or two at this effort. I've already blown up my threshold run. Yeah, maybe. That's just the word you're going to always have to go back to. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, and and don't, don't get us wrong, folks. Like this is still like work. Like you're working pretty hard and there's discomfort here. Mm-hmm. We're kind of maybe glorifying the relaxation part of threshold work because honestly, threshold work is some of the most dreaded work because it's like just that submaximal um like sustained rate of work, which is like slowly chipping away at like your body on every system. And eventually it starts to feel really damn tough towards the end. And that's, that's typical. Another trick on threshold work that I find is when people start, this is where you really want to be in touch with your breathing, just segueing off of what you had said. Um, People oftentimes fall into a trap of doing a poor job of fully exchanging oxygen in these efforts. And that's when you need to take that full breath in and then fully exhale out and reset your breathing. I find in racing and threshold work, getting a grab on that and people's mistakes is they don't exhale the oxygen in their lungs enough fully, which means you basically got this carbon dioxide filled air still sitting in your alveoli and bronchioles that are never being fully exchanged. So taking that really deep breath every you know, 20, 30 seconds when you're working hard, fully exhaling and resetting, I, I watch my heart rate data on that and I can drop five beats a minute once I fully exchange that oxygen instead of getting caught in that short, sharp, fast breathing pattern. And so just making sure you can continually get yourself back into that, like, okay, I'm going to take a slow, deep breath and exhale slowly, um, really is resetting during this type of work. I don't know if you do that in races or in threshold work, but I do. And it's a game changer. And it's especially that exhale, extending that out so that you get all that old shitty oxygen that's or air that's not oxygenated out of your lungs. So you can reset. You ever play tricks like that with your breathing bracket? I, I'm a, I think I've, I mentioned in another episode. I'm a big exhaler. Every, I even did it on Saturday. There was one hill. I thought, oh, I'm working a little too hard. And blew it all out and then mm-hmm. did a second one and then just reset. It's just my, all right, calm it back down, reset, take a few strides easier, and let's get back to the sustainable work rate. If you're not able to do that, you're going too hard. Yes. That's another indicator for me. If you just can't possibly take the time to do that because you're already so oxygen deprived, then uh, that's your rev limiter on that. And you're right. Hard is subjective. So hard for this one is not misery. Interval work can be miserable towards the end of a workout. It can be truly painful. This is not a truly painful. This is hard. It's demanding. It's fatiguing. But you can't really put your finger on one thing that's miserable. You just have that growing feeling of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like, Man, this hurts. And if someone said, describe what hurts so bad, you would, I, I can't really tell, like my hamstrings aren't burning. My lungs aren't heaving. My stomach's not churning, but it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel pleasant. And so it's hard. That's the yeah. difference between that interval work. You can identify acutely what is miserable. I am burning in my hamstrings or my shoulders are locking up or my breathing cannot keep up. And threshold work, it's just an overall feeling of growing effort and fatigue versus true misery. So threshold work is more a practice of mental fortitude at this point, because it's uncomfortable to the point where you want to slow down mm-hmm. because you're not like necessarily enjoying yourself. You're like, oh, this is not fun. But mentally, you're like, yeah, I can sustain this. I'm right where I need to be. And it's more about, for me, it's more about a, yeah, mental fortitude and staying yeah. on top of the task at hand. Now, we talked about interval work, what the body should feel like. What should the body feel like? What should hard feel like for threshold work physically? I think it should feel, this is a term that gets used a lot, but comfortable hard. 
where I know I'm putting forth effort, but it's a sustainable, nice feeling effort. Like I feel, I feel good when I run threshold run. I feel like my, I look strong. I don't feel like my form's breaking down at the end of tempo runs. I feel like I'm maintaining my best self the entire workout. I'm not in danger of crashing and having my form sag. I might have to do the remind myself to stay up, but it's not because um, it's getting hard to do it. It's because I'm losing focus. This is definitely the type of work where you are now running with that efficient stride, trying to impress that hot guy or girl, or running with that string pulling out of your chest. You can maintain that nice, proper the entire time without question. You may have to keep it in check once in a while, um, but you should be able to maintain that. Uh, you're not getting a ton of buildup in the legs. It's more a breathy sort of work where like you're feeling it respiratory wise, but you're maybe not feeling that, that buildup in the legs. And if you are, you're shaking it out and getting back to form. It's, it's more in the chest. I don't yeah. know how else to describe it. Yeah, it, that's right. And realistically, if you look at the duration that you could keep your anaerobic, sub-anaerobic threshold type work for in a race, you know, again, gun to your head, it's 40 to 60 minutes, depending on which end of the spectrum you're working on. So if you're thinking, how would I effort-wise and pace-wise pace a 40-minute race or a 60 minute race, not one cross section of that race would be this like fighting. Maybe the last 20 minutes you start fighting, but you're running a really sustainable stride. And so your threshold work is the same way. Yeah. And the one last thing I want to touch on before I move to what racing hard should feel like, I'm just looking at the clock here and knowing my timeline today. Um, what do you think about doing threshold work? Let's say you go out for a six mile threshold run, which mm -hmm. is something I very often do five, six to eight mile threshold runs. Um, what do you think about kicking home the last mile or two and getting past that, getting into the red, treating it like a race, the last mile or two, and you just want to dig past? What's your philosophy on that? Do you feel like that's okay to do on this where you actually cross over into that lactate feeling where you're starting to tie up in the last bit and really, really grinding? Or do you think people should stay away from that completely in threshold work, cross the line and still be able to be, look to their buddy and be like, ah, oh, that was work, but it was okay. And say it just like that when they're finished. I like both. I really do. I don't have a hard and fast rule on that. I have a most tempo runs I get done and I just feel awesome about myself. Mm -hmm. After an interval work workout, you don't always feel, you, you might feel awesome that you accomplished it, but it takes a while afterwards until you physically feel well enough to be happy with what's done. Usually you're just happy you're done. Tempo run, I finished the run. I'm, 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 I hit my watch and I'm like, man, that was great. I feel mm -hmm. fast today. And that's the difference. So on some days, yeah, let's crank it home. Let's, let's drop that last mile down because we can, and because that's fun and that's a little bit race specific, but even then I don't get done trashed. I just try to never leave a workout trashed and, and it's kind of subjective, but there are times I'll do a fast finish tempo and that, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I look at threshold. It's not like opening up a door and walking through it and you're really warm in the house. You open up the door and you get blasted with cold air. Like, ha ha, you hit your threshold. It's like the door's cracked open or it's halfway open and you're walking down the hall. And as you get closer to the door, you start feeling those tendrils of cold starting to hit you. Like, oh, it's, it's getting a little chillier, but I'm still warm in here. I should shut the door if I wanted to stay totally warm, but I can survive in this hallway. And every step you take closer, you get colder and colder. So that by the time you go through the door, it's not like you fall off a cliff. You're just fully aware that I'm outside now. Mm -hmm. But it's not a click over moment. It's a progression to it. And so if you stay at the low end of 
in the hallway and you get closer to the door, if you move through the door for the last mile, you're not compromising what you've done because it's not like you just warm, 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 cold, workout's blown up. It's, it, mm -hmm. it's a gradient to it. I have not heard the word tendrils used in many moons, Bracken. Thank you for delighting my ears with that one. You're welcome. And that was a good, that was a good analogy. I like that. Uh, let's move to racing then. Yes. Um, I have a very strong opinion on how how the body and how hard should feel in a race if you're running to your potential. Yes. Um, do you have a really quick go-to, like, this is what hard should feel like? And I know people like to say, like, oh, my lungs are exploding and my legs are about to blow up and I hate my life every second of the whole thing. And that's what hard feels like in a race. That's not an accurate description, first no. of all. Um, it's an over-glamorization or dramatic, you know, dramatization of how it feels. Um, let's talk first endurance racing because most of our listeners are racing 5K or further. How should a race feel in your mind, physically, mentally? Everything? I truly don't care whether it's a mile or a hundred mile. I think they all have the exact same way they should feel. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, there's a point that you identify everything past this point is going to be misery. And I accept that. And if it's not, I'm doing something wrong, but everything up to that point, I should feel confident and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's the halfway point. Maybe that's the one third point. Maybe it's the three quarter point in some races, but running the first half knowing this is unpleasant, but I can do this. And then you get to that point where now I'm close enough to the end that the tank can start being emptied. And now every step is misery from here out. And you just know that this will hurt more than any workout I've ever done. And that's, that's okay. That's what racing is. Well, when it comes to obstacle course racing, my philosophy is that a third to a halfway in the race, you are saying maybe really tentatively already mm -hmm. and going to your power meter. The thing is that we don't think about in obstacle course racing is the way your heart rate comes down on the Z wall, the way even sometimes on like a sandbag or a bucket, you have actual opportunity to let us switch energy systems and then recharge that power meter in a different way. Um, what happens when you're going across Olympus or things like that, monkey bars, etc. That power meter that you refer to has a chance to go up just a little bit in the middle of that race. It has a chance to recharge. And sometimes you can't even predict when it happens. But I know sometimes too many people leave a little bit too much in the tank because of that unknown in OCR specifically. And so my philosophy is that a third or halfway through, you should be really tentatively saying like, maybe, I don't know if I can keep this up. But then you go across Z wall and your heart rate drops 10 or 15 beats a minute and you go, ah, I can get back to pace again. And you kind of hang on those little recharges in your power meter throughout the race by looking at the map, strategizing and knowing like, hey, here's my chance, here's my chance to recharge that meter a little bit. And so any of my best races, the answer has been a very tentative, maybe a third or a halfway through, but I'm able to because of studying the map, having those little breaks and even a change in muscle groups, like going from a run to a bucket or a run to this or that is a chance for that to happen. So um, I actually believe that you should be in the Hurt Locker a little bit earlier in OCR. Yeah, um, for sure. Based on the way the race plays out. And I think most successful athletes do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's about identifying a point. That match should be studied real hard. Wherever it is, I can't get to this point drawing dead. There's some point where you get to energy-wise, you realize I can only get worse from here. All yep. I can do, my race is run, I can only slow down. And there's a point where you don't want to hit that yet. And then there's a point where that's success. That's that's acceptable. That's okay. And having that point and knowing all these feel-based workouts I've done, 
I can manage my effort to get to that point without having blown up. And then from mm-hmm. there on, I'm seeking that blow up zone. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there are two types of slowing down. There is the pain that is, I want to slow down because this is so unpleasant. And then there's the, I have to slow down because my body won't work anymore. And in the first half of the race, we either hold back too much or go too fast. And in the second half of the race, we either empty the tank or we shy away from emptying the tank. Mm -hmm. And those are the two points there that you have to nail. Run the first part correctly, run the second part correctly. And both of them are tough to do, but I think both of them, you get permission to do it correctly from doing it over and over and over and feeling what hard feels like in training. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And 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 just going back to OCR, like looking at the map, like, like I go and I look for two things right away. I look for spear throw and I look for Z-wall. For some reason, those two things are ones where I know, like if I go in and cross my yellow into the red, I'm doing that purposefully leading in because I'm going to come back out into the yellow again by the time I leave those two things. And I always look for that. And then I also look for descents. And I know that sometimes you push the descents, you know, really hard to where you are in the red or whatever, but I just find like based on terrain and sometimes that descents, it's also an opportunity to recharge. How often do we say in races, it's like a race to the top, mm-hmm. for example, in Utah last year, some of these big mountain races, it's a race to the top because you can figure it out on the way down. Like if your fitness can back up your effort level. So, so those are the things that, that I look for in a race. And, and that means we talk about compromise running. We talk about like, Oh, like we're reaching into the red and dipping into like lactate threshold and crossing it constantly in OCR and then coming in into it and out of it and into it and out of it. And so this is where the lines get a little blurry trail running included. Um, You should be crossing. You should be gasping at points sometimes early in the race Um, and that's okay. I feel like that if you've trained hard, your fitness warrants going to those darker places early because you're going to find your way out of it. And your maybe is going to end up being a yes. And this goes back to doing those five fives on rolling hills or climbs because you get used to spiking things early in a workout and finding a way to adapt and recover to it and then do it again. Or doing sport-specific, terrain-specific workouts where hard on mud is not hard on road, which is not hard on track, which is not hard up a hill. It's feeling mm-hmm. what is hard on each of those and knowing what can I come back from, what's safe, and what is setting off the alarm bells in this furnace. Can I keep it under control or is a blow up truly coming? And you have to practice all of those. I mean, listen, like, just listen to the breathing in the start of a race. Like, let's say you take off and it's a super still, it's an hour long super. Um, but three minutes into the race, they put you through rolling mud, you jump a wall. I mean, the breathing sounds like, a bunch of people gasping for air, you could not have that conversation. You could not say, Hey, how you doing today? Like, and that's, that's kind of where you should be at. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. the intensity of that, like first bit of a Spartan race that throws something at us, like an obstacle that requires actual output. Um, I don't know. I just think, I just think the ability to cross that threshold earlier and then come out of it is just important, which means like how often in a race, you've gotten to the top of a short climb in like a sprint where it's at a ski hill that has 300 feet of gain and you're already on the top and your legs are gone from underneath you and you're gasping for breath, but then you manage that effort. I just think coming in and out of it is like, is just needs to be noted. I don't think that you need to be super controlled early. And I just want to get that point across because that's something that I think you look at guys like Kempson, you look at guys like Killian, you look at guys like even an Atkins. I know he plays it cool, but like those guys are hurting really early and they're managing it throughout. Yeah, our sport is, again, the only one that allows you to tip over early and recover because it changes throughout. And road running, you can't tip. Spartan racing, you can dip in and out of that pool all day long. And 
you need to in order to be racing hard. You, you have to recover while doing something else hard. And so that, again, is why sports-specific workouts develop that skill. But either way, hard is subjective, but hard is defined by what the outcome needs to be. So if you're answering maybe, more often than not, you're doing this right. And then let's just touch on the the flip side of that coin with like smooth running, whether you're 5K time trialing, which we prescribe a lot, our time trialing, you're out running a 10-mile road race, your first marathon on pretty clean terrain where now we're talking more calculated. Now we're talking Rich Ryan type running. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, okay, calculated effort in a sense. How should that feel like? That should feel like you are just riding the edge of blowing up or you are staying just under where just one second faster per mile and my race is probably done, but I can hold just underneath this until it's time to make a move. And that's all that road or track racing is. It's running as fast as you can possibly run with the least amount of effort without blowing up until it's time to close the race down. It's really simple, but it's equally as difficult. Just because it's a simple choice doesn't mean that it's easy to do. And it's really painful because you get to be precise in how you empty your tank. Like you Mm -hmm. said, a lot of people get to the end of an OCR race and their tank isn't empty because they read too far into some of those warning bells that were going off in the furnace. They were false warning bells. Track, road, cross country, the bells are real and you're going to have your furnace blow up if you mess up just even slightly. Yeah. If you're paying attention to heart rate, in my opinion, a race less than an hour, you've, you're getting to the middle, the lower middle of your zone four pretty quick. And you're slowly cardiac drifting up to the line of your zone five. And you breach that the last eighth of your race and basically just hang on or kick home. Um, it's a slow, gradual increase from like mid yellow to the borderline of yellow to red to breaching red and that last calculated push towards the finish. Um, but any race that I've run successfully, whether it's a 5K or a 10 mile, I'm halfway through that effort, whatever that is to you. And it's a real strong maybe already. It's very, very uncomfortable. Every fiber in my body is telling me I need to slow down by maybe five seconds, 10 seconds per mile, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that's about how I would describe that smooth running effort. And it reminds me a lot of tempo or threshold running where like you need to mentally keep yourself in check there because your body's certainly capable. It's like, how quick is your mind going to want to cave to that sort of discomfort? And your body's a liar. That maybe turns to a no for me in a five or a 10K in the middle third. Mm-hmm. That's always third of a race that maybe turns to a, oh no, this is bad. This is bad. And when I give into it, I don't PR. And when I say, no, 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 this is going to turn back into a maybe as soon as I get inside of the finish, those are the days you PR. So mm-hmm. it lies to you a bit there, just like it lies to you in OCR about warning bells going off. It's Again, having spent enough time doing that effort and training to understand when your body's a liar and when your body just wants a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and that last third of those efforts should be to the point where like you hit a slight incline and those legs start to fill up. You have to hop a curb and that's enough to like spike your heart rate and feel your quads like, oh crap. But you sort of rein it back in and can kind of dial it in until you can see the home stretch and kick home. Hard should be very uncomfortable in these efforts to the point where you're actually feeling some of that lactate buildup, even halfway through the effort. Again, the smallest terrain change, the smallest wind gust, the turning of a corner might be enough to fill up those legs and have you gasping for a brief moment. And then you're dialing it back in just below blow up. Everybody dies status until, uh, until the home stretch. But, um, I say rising pretty quick into that like zone four, mid to high zone four early in a race is like about the prescription. In fact, when I run a 5K time trial, my last 5K time trial in gosh, May or April, whatever it was, 
I averaged 181 beats a minute for that 5k time trial, which is zone five. I think I was in zone four for the first five minutes and the last 10 was all zone five. Like that's not atypical either if you're fit and ready to calculate an effort. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. If I think I'll, I'll f- wrap up my piece by saying heart rate's so important. Knowing your pacing is so important. But if I could only choose one style of gauging my pace, it would be effort. Because at the end of the day, when all of those pieces are taken away and you're in a race, the only thing you can trust is the work you've put in and your mind. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you just know this is my work rate, that's your work rate. And you see people on the track now with that wave light technology. They don't need to check their watch. They don't need to check their heart rate. They just stare at that light and say, I'm not letting that light get ahead of me. Mm-hmm. It's a gut check, start to finish, knowing that if I just run with that light, I'm okay. Where if you're running without it, you'd be looking at your watch saying, oh, I was a half second slow that lap. I was a half second slow. All they just say is, all right, I'm going to gauge my effort and I'm not letting go of that. So effort-based training, while not as fun or not quite as accessible on an easy way to just dial in like heart rate or paces is so, so key to have as part of your program because it turns you into a racer. Well, and during races, I mean, I don't know about you, but especially in undulating terrain, I certainly am not keeping very close tabs on my heart rate in the moment. So going off of perceived effort is super important to translate to racing. I find the only time I'm checking my average, my, my current pace during races is when I'm starting to struggle. Yeah. Yeah. When you're starting to check data, yeah. That when I'm on it, I don't even care what my pace is because I know I'm working hard. And when I start to get dropped, I look down and think, oh shoot, I'm only running this pace now. I'm just leaking time. Yep. Um, Anything else you want to add to that? Bracken? No, get out there and start working efforts. And that might start as just being cognizant about it. I know I'm running 70 second pace on these quarters and I'm looking at that, but I'm also thinking, how would I answer that question? And could I do it without looking at my watch next rep and, and dialing that in? Because over time, the best racers are the ones that know exactly where their power meter's at and when they can bury it. Yep. And my last, uh, last little uh, call to action would be we've had, we say this like every every time we're about to do a Q&A episode, but we've had more questions come in via our message, like our Instagram messenger than ever before. We have enough to already do a Q&A. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into a Q&A next week. Um, if you have any burning questions, send them over in Instagram messenger. I don't think we're going to put out a poll this week or this next time because we already have enough questions. So yeah. Shoot us your questions. Be patient. We're going to hold off and then answer them in our next training Tuesday is our plan. So shoot us your questions. If you have them in messenger, we'll screenshot them and then get to them uh, next week. But thanks for all those who are asking the questions. Um, I'm continually impressed with how many people are engaging with, uh, with the Instagram messaging with us. So thank you. And we will get to your questions. If you've asked one next week, one week till OCR stars, one mile time trial next week, get one last good speed work in maybe two and get ready to rip up the track. That's right. We'll see you next. uh, We'll see you later this week, folks. Thank you.